0: Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. I was just thinking how sweet it is to have a Father in Heaven whose voice is is tender towards us, you know? And uh, I'm really proud of the fathers of our church and how far you've come and how far we've all come together and being fathers to our children after the fatherhood of God in Heaven. and. You know, one of the most important things you can give your children is tenderness. It's one of the most important things that you can give your children is tenderness, and, and just in an environment that's tender, where it's it's normal for them to hear a tender voice like thine, you know. And um, and I'm just really proud of how far the men of our church have come, and carrying responsibility as fathers um, to their children, and as fathers in our church, even. Well, the providence of God takes us down roads in life that we just would rather not go. And takes us down roads, the providence of God takes us down roads that are not easy roads to walk and uh, you know, for ten years of our church's history almost we never had, never had anyone diagnosed with cancer and then within a period of a year we have um, we lost our dear Bob um, Who would have loved that simple song that had the Trinity in it, by the way, Barbie? He's always always saying, is our worship Trinitarian? Is our worship Trinitarian? And we lost our precious Bob to cancer. And then, of course, the struggle, you know, and the battle that Liberty's facing. And then, um, just the news this week with... Amy and and Neil's brother, you know, the news of both of those came on the same day, on Wednesday. And I don't know why the Lord does things like this, and I don't know why sometimes when it rains, it pours on purpose, and I don't know why um, at times these particular roads that the Lord has for us to travel are the roads that He has for us to travel when He has for us to travel them, but... Um, I do have faith for them. I do have faith for them. And I want you to have faith for them too. And uh, of course, just kind of the reality of um, this week makes you think and long for the resurrection. It makes you think about and long for and wait for the resurrection. And we're in this passage of Scripture that has this I think tension between the judgment of Jesus upon Israel's leaders and his tender, his response to answer the Sadducees' question and their issue, but uh, it's full of tender truth for those who are his. And that's not really his point. That's not really his point. It's not necessarily the context. It's like you guys are wrong. You've rejected the words of God. You've rejected the teaching of Scripture. You've rejected simple statements in the Old Testament that would have helped you understand that there is, in fact, a resurrection of the dead um, to live with God in everlasting life. And the Sadducees are um, some of Israel's leaders who oversaw the temple system. They were the ones who oversaw the temple business that we've already talked about. And... Um, But they deny that there's a resurrection from the dead. They deny that there's any real afterlife. And Jesus answers their question, and I hope encourages your heart today. I hope encourages your heart today um, with an age to come. an age to come. So let's pray to that. Father, we need encouragement. We need the strength and power of your words. To give us faith and hope for what is true and what is true beyond what is seen. God, we pray that our church would have faith, it would take hold of unseen things that are beyond the things that are transient, (laughs) things that are eternal in the heavens and will last forever. Lord, as we endure the life you have given us under the sun in a sin cursed world with. Souls at times that are languishing and hearts that are faint and bodies that are sick and broken and weak. We long for what our dear Lord says. So would you encourage the hope of your people today and strengthen their faith to stand firm, to be patient for the day to come when we will rise from the dead. Lord, let us stand firm on these truths. Though there might be many mockers in our way, the Western materialists who can't see beyond what's right in front of them would be enemies to us. Would scorn us. Thank You that Your people will stand in the assembly of the righteous in the last because of our dear Lord's death and our And our resurrection with Him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's read the text. Luke chapter 20, if you're not there yet. Luke chapter 20. You probably knew where we were headed, we've been here for a while. Verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, and they are very Sadducee, because they are those who deny that there is a resurrection. Didn't you sing that song as a kid, like growing up in church? You know, I don't want to be a Sadducee, because they're so Sadducee. No. Those who deny that there is a resurrection. Really, I mean, what a sadder way to live than that. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up, raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. After a word the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more. Because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, Teacher, you have spoken well for they no longer dared to ask Him any question. You know, the Sadducees are this sect of Jews. They believe the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Or they say they believe the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's kind of what their thing is to hold to. Um, And every sect everywhere has its particulars, right? Um, You know, uh, Harvest Bible Chapel has its particulars. You know, the Reformed Presbyterians have their particulars. You know, Baptists have their particulars. And every sect has always had its particulars. The thing that was particular about the Sadducees was they denied the resurrection. They denied any future life beyond this life. No resurrection from the dead. I mean, the, the, the Sadducees, it was you live and then you die. And that was, the, that was the nature of the Sadducees. Now, Jesus had a lot of conflict with the Pharisees all through Luke's Gospel. He's, he's primarily been in conflict with the Pharisees. And what's interesting about Jesus is he actually has a lot more in common Doctrinally speaking, and understanding what the Old Testament taught, except on justification by faith alone, um, except at the point of works righteousness, which is the most crucial point, in a lot of the understanding of what the Old Testament taught, he actually had a lot more in common with the Pharisees. And some have said maybe that's why he's actually around the Pharisees so much, um, because in many ways, he actually thought very much like them. But with the Sadducees, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are always they're in conflict with one another because the Pharisees believed that there is a future life. And you have to live your life in light of the future life. They at least said that. They were on a very wrong plan for how to end up in the presence of God in eternity, because they were those who justify themselves. They were constantly self-commending themselves, you know? And uh, but the Sadducees denied any future life at all. Now Think for a second. Why would the Sadducees deny the resurrection? Why would the Sadducees deny the resurrection? Well, does the Old Testament teach the resurrection? Let's start there. Does the Old Testament teach the resurrection very, very clearly? Very, very clearly. In fact, Jesus goes to the Torah, right? Their books that they claim are their kind of small, narrow, you know, um, no need of additional revelation books. That's what Jesus says, right? Jesus answers the question Himself in verse 37, but that the dead are raised. Let me now get at the issue of resurrection and why you're wrong. Let's just look at what the, the Torah actually says. But that the dead are raised... Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, does he say God was the God of Abraham and He was the God of Isaac and He was the God of Jacob? No, Moses, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are long dead by the time we get to Moses in the book of Exodus, right? Okay. So what's happening when Moses says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Moses is actually identifying or revealing to us the assumption that they're alive with God. He is their God and all live to Him. So uh, Jesus understands the Torah properly. So it's not not an issue so much of what the Old Testament teaches, but let me give you just a little bit more. How about Job 19, verse 26? And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. After my skin, my body breaks down and my skin's been destroyed and not just in my spirit I will see God. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's resurrection. Right. Resurrection is the uniting of body and soul. It's not just going to live as a spirit. you know? I mean, today we kind of have to clear away a little bit of the underbrush, because we've so devalued and watered down into this weird muck. What, the, what everlasting life is. Like we kind of have this idea that the life beyond that, that age, beyond this age, is kind of like, a, you know, we're bouncing around on white puffy clouds. And, you know, it's like, like, we ha- it's like we're a bunch of cupids flying around with love arrows. Yeah. And that it's very ethereal. It's 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 very strange and and um, but what the Bible teaches about the new heaven and the new earth is it's actually very earthy. It's like real people, like us, on real dirt, like this, in real buildings and rooms and homes. And real mountains and valleys and rivers and streams. And my wife and I were imagining what what God would do with all the precious stones of the earth in the construction, uh, you know, and what that would be like in the uh, construction of the everlasting earth. it's, It's earthy. God redeems this life unto resurrection. It's not an entirely different existence unrecognizable to us to the reality that we have today. Or otherwise, it wouldn't be a resurrection. It would just be a change. And so the resurrection is the uniting of the body and soul. And so, um, well, Job 19.6, I love that. Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. David in Psalm 17.5 As for me, I shall behold Your face in righteousness. When I awake, you know, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. You know, one of the most, the most difficult question in trial, in all of tri- the trials of life, the most difficult question, we always wrestle with the question of why, why the trial, but the most difficult question is how long. How long, oh Lord? How long is this going to go on? How long? That's the most difficult. And it's the uncertainty of how long that becomes the weightiest, heaviest reality for all of us in whatever trials we face, whether bodily suffering or persecution or any other loss that You have given up for the sake of following Christ. It's always how long, O Lord. And 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 the comforting answer of the resurrection is not forever. And not really for all that long in light of eternity. David in Psalm 16. Have you ever understood Psalm 16 properly and thought about the resurrection? Psalm 16.10, You will not abandon My soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let Your Holy One see corruption. You make known to Me the path of life. In Your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, resurrection beyond the grave. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, raised to life beyond the grave. Right. And so, how would you like to have the Sadducees as pastors? What if you walked in the church this morning and you were like I just feel like it's the hardest week of my life and it's just made me long for life beyond this life? And the Sadducees overseeing the, you know, temple worship, the the not the temple worship, the business that was happening in the temple. By the way, that's why the Sadducees and Pharisees were always in conflict. okay? Or, sorry, that's why the Sadducees want to kill Jesus, because he just overturned the Gentile courts. okay? And the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't get along in much. But for different reasons, they're both united in wanting to kill Jesus. And so the sect of the Sadducees is now getting exposed here. You walk into church and so, you know, you buy your $20 ticket so that you can, you know, find your seat to worship God. And then the, you know, the religious leaders of your day just say, you know, there's not really anything beyond this life. I I don't want you thinking that there's something beyond this life. There's nothing beyond this life. What a hopeless understanding of who God is. What a hopeless understanding of who Jesus is. The resurrection and the life. What a hopeless understanding of all of history and all the saints of the past. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the great women of the Old Testament who had faith. And that they're living to God because all lived in not experiencing the fullness of the resurrection yet but not just in sheol waiting in a grave either what a hopeless meaningless you know 2 Corinthians 4:17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison If there is no resurrection, then what does that verse mean? You have a heavy, long, torturous life to live for nothing. And ultimately, for the Sadducees, right, their denial of the resurrection is their. Rejection of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you not to let anybody take away from you the resurrection of your Lord and of your future life with Him. So the Old Testament clearly teaches the resurrection from the dead. So why do the Sadducees deny the resurrection then? Remember, remember how I taught you how character corrupts sound doctrine? And we usually think it's the other way around. We usually think if we get our doctrine wrong, we'll have bad character. And is that true? That is true too. But oftentimes, the reality of what's actually happening is our wickedness refuses to accept what the Bible teaches, right? And so our character... And our evil actually corrupts sound doctrine. We won't believe what the Bible teaches because we're evil. So I suspect that what the Scriptures actually teach wasn't the issue. It wasn't really a question of whether the Old Testament taught the resurrection from the dead. And There's plenty of places in Scripture that we could go to to see that as we have already. The issue was the Sadducees were responsible to oversee the temple business. They were greedy materialists. And so why do you think so many Americans just today now just say we live and then we die and that's it? Why is the... Why is evolution, you know, which really gave a justification for lost people to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that we just live and we just die and no one's accountable to God, that all of these things and all this life, chance random processes were just kind of stardust that banged into you know, all of the beauty and the order and consciousness that we see and perceive everywhere? Why? Because if you're wicked, then you don't want to stand before God and give an account for your wickedness. And if you're wicked and your, your conscience weighs on you, then what you will do is you will do everything to push away the pain of your conscience condemning you. And if you're guilty, and the weight of guilt is weighing you down, then you will find every imaginable thing you can think or possibly believe to try to get rid of that guilt so you can live... A problem free life according to all of your desires that you wish. And so the Sadducees are wicked. They have corrupted the worship of God. They have become wicked, or they have become, uh, they have been held back the Gentiles from coming into the court of God to worship Him. They have held back the nations from the worship of God and profited off of it at the same time. And if there is a resurrection, if there is a resurrection of the living and the dead, then what's going to happen? They're going to stand before the living God and they're going to give an account for all of their wickedness and their corruption. And the picture does not look good for them. So, we deny that there is a resurrection because this is what all humanity has always done. Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So this is an effort to set their consciences at ease, not an issue with what Scripture actually teaches. And so they're out to kill Jesus because if all there is, is this life, I might as well get all I can before it's over, right? The Sadducees aren't much different than, you know, modern Westerners. He who, who dies with the most toys wins, And so they're out to kill Jesus because when he uh, eliminated the court of the Gentiles and it's, it, it, it's uh, the economic system, the corrupt economic system that they had established in the court of the Gentiles, a place that was to be a house of prayer for the nations to come and the worship of God, he took away their life, took away their life. And so they want to kill him. So there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. They're trying to trap him, right? They asked him this question because they're, you know, imagine this a little bit like your, you know, like your philosophy professor at IU or your religious studies professor at IU who says things like this: Can God create a rock that He can't lift? You know. First of all, just the arrogance of man to even ask such ridiculous questions of God. But that's kind of what the Sadducees are doing here. They're like the philosophers. They're like intellectuals. Intellectuals always come up with um, and, and 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 unbelief and skeptics always come up with like these weird. Hypothetical cases. And the weird hypothetical case becomes the reason to accept or reject something that's true or not true. So this is the way it always goes. So here's the Sadducees. They come up with this this case, and this is how they are going to decide whether there is a resurrection. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children... The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, so in the Old Testament, God to preserve the nation of Israel and as a protection for the Israelites um, not to marry the foreign nations and be carried away by foreign gods, right? So he created something called Leverite marriage. And so they're identifying the nature of what Leverite marriage is in the Old Testament clearly, right? There's nothing wrong with what they're explaining is the reality. The issue is this probably never happened. You know, it's, it's not like this was a real case study. Right? I mean, because otherwise, by like the third or fourth brother here, I probably would not marry this woman. <laughs> you know, it's like a life shortly lived. They married her and then they died. <laughs> but it's this, it's this absurd case. But to them and their head... This is the reason why the resurrection is ridiculous. This is their presenting case, right? Of course, I've already argued this isn't really the issue with them, but this is what they think. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, died without children. The second and the third took her, and likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Right? And so, if the age to come is you know, identical with this age in every way, right? then that's a legitimate question. Right? But what Jesus, Jesus begins to teach is there is an age to come and there are some distinctions between the age to come and this age. And so Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. right? The sons of this age, we marry, we're given in marriage. But there's a distinction in the age to come. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Okay, So, in the age to come, you will not be married. You will not be married to your current spouse. There will not be any family in the way we think about family in this age in heaven. You will obviously know who your family was because there's a resurrection and there will be identification. We will be raised to something identifiable as to this life. But you will not be married um, in Matthew's account, right? They'll, for they will be like the angels in heaven. Well, What does that mean? That's where we kind of got this idea that we all just float around like bright lights in the sky. You know? A line from a Beatles song just entered my mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Only one line. That's the way it always is. Now you're all like, huh, I wonder what it was. I'll ask Daniel about the service. I bet he'll get it. But they'll be like angels in heaven. And you'll be, they'll be like angels. And so we get this idea that we're all just kind of float around with wings. And But the point isn't that we'll actually look like and actually function like angels in that sense. The point is... You won't be married like the angels aren't married. And in here, here it says, Jesus says, were you to attain to that age and to the resurrection, that neither marry nor are given in marriage. Why? Well, why is there no marriage in heaven? Well, he says, Jesus says it right here. He says, for they cannot die anymore. Well, what's one of the primary purposes of Marriage. We don't talk about it in the church today and we haven't talked about it for 100 years, but one of the primary purposes of marriage is procreation. A godly offspring for Christ's church. Children to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. But if you're not going to die anymore, there's no need for replacement for that to be the case. The earth will be ruled and subdued and all of God's people for whom Christ shed His blood will be there and there won't be any need for any more. so they cannot die anymore so there's no need for marriage because they're equal to angels equal to angels eternal unmarried you know that's the point of this and our sons of god being sons of the resurrection I like Jesus' teaching on the resurrection a whole lot more than I like the Sadducees' understanding of the resurrection. And it's really fascinating the phrases that Jesus piles up here. You know? He uses these phrases that challenge our understanding of His grace, like but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age. Obviously, we're not talking about those who worked the hardest and who lived the best life and who were the nicest, most moral people and were the kindest and they just, they just were so wonderful. All right. That's not what he's talking about. But you are considered worthy to attain to that age because of your union with Christ. Christ is worthy to dwell in the presence of his Father forever. And you are united with Christ because He shed His blood for you. And because He is worthy, you are worthy with Him. Christ shed His blood for you. If I were to ask you this, how are you saved? What would you say? Would you say by faith? Because that wouldn't be true. Because you're saved by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ saves you and makes you worthy to attain to the age to come. Your salvation comes to you the point you believe. It is applied to you through faith. That is the moment where it actually becomes yours in your real experience, but you are not saved by that. You are saved by the blood of Christ. And it is the blood of Christ that makes you worthy to attain to that age. And I'm so glad that there is an age to come. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know very many people who have lived life for very many years. I don't, know how, I don't know very many of God's people who have lived life for very many years without starting to have a lot of scars, without having some serious burdens of life without having difficulty with grown children or without having some loss of family and ongoing alienation with their family, without loss uh, or of a person close to them, without some sort of bodily illness or breakdown. There's not very many older people that I talk to who are in Christ, who have kind of lived this problem-free, difficulty-free, pain-free life that we all wish we all got to live. I just don't know anyone like that. And I want trial-free and pain-free, just give me an easy life. Just let me get to heaven on a flowery bed of ease, right? And then I'll be glad when I get there. And all of the difficulty of life, and all of the difficulty. And you know, I don't know anybody who hasn't had, doesn't have difficulty in their marriage. But you don't get to go. Well, I'm glad I get to heaven, so I'm not married anymore. <laughs> don't, don't dishonor marriage, okay? But I don't know anybody who has any difficulty in their marriage. I mean, when my wife and I, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast that we emailed you, I really would encourage you to do it. I hope it's just such an encouragement to you. But, I mean, when my wife and I got married. Our first five five weeks of marriage, we were at our uh, honeymoon destination for about three hours, maybe four. And then uh, we came home. My wife got sick, and she struggled severely with life-dominating, enslaving, just fear and anxiety. And so we just came home. And that began about a five week, 24 hour uh, panic attack. And I don't know how to tell you, to try to explain that to you. I just don't think that's probably, I think only probably people who have kind of understand the nature of panic uh, can probably get their mind around that. But um, I just don't know anybody who's been married who hasn't gone through some real difficult realities. And the resurrection tells me that it actually is. Light, momentary affliction. It is light, momentary affliction. And it is not meaningless. And it is not purposeless. And it is not vanity. And it is not striving after the wind. It is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. And it is weaning you from everything that your heart wants in this world. And it is blinding you. It is darkening your eyes to having your eyes set on this world and what I think I'm supposed to have in this world in order to be happy. In order to live a problem-free life. In order to live in a world without sin. And it's opening your eyes to unseen things. And increasing your hope in unseen things. And teaching you not to live by what you see right in front of you. Because what you see right in front of you isn't worth putting all your hope in. So stop putting your hope in what's right in front of you. And so, all who are worthy to attain to the age to come by the blood of Christ suffer trials of various kinds. James chapter 1. And all of it is moving your heart and life to live by faith in the God of Scripture. And living by faith in the God of Scripture and in the hope of the life to come is the best thing for you. And so don't have malice and hatred towards God because He's taking away from you what's bad for you to give to you what's best for you. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God in the trials that you've worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead. Neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. But these phrases are wonderful because they're equal to angels and are, they're sons of God being sons of the resurrection. When you're a son of God, you take on your father's likeness and you belong to him as your father. Right? He is your father and you are his sons and daughters. When you take on the resurrection, you belong to that age of the resurrection of body and soul together and life eternal. Not floating around like bright lights in the sky. But to a new heavens and a new earth. Not even to an earth that's completely annihilated and recreated. To an earth that will burn, but the burning will be refining by fire. And all that is wicked will be burnt. It will be like chafe, which the wind drives away. And all the rest redeemed. So He's training your mind to look to unseen things because you belong to an unseen place. You belong to the unseen God. You belong to an unseen future resurrection. You are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. And so, Let no modern Sadducee. Let no modern Western materialist. And you yourself don't live like a Sadducee. Don't live like there actually is no future resurrection. When you're facing the trials of various kinds... Think long and hard about the resurrection. And let it cheer your heart. Let it actually cheer your heart. Because there is nothing that will more cheer your heart, either in heavy trial, or in the hour of your death, the resurrection and so have faith in what Jesus is saying don't be a denier of the don't be a functional denier of the resurrection you know um, my dad was a functioning alcoholic he got up, he went to work every day he provided for our family, I had a house he took me to sports games, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, etc cetera. He's a functioning alcoholic and I didn't mean to dishonor my dad in saying this it's the only thing I could think to illustrate many wonderful things about my dad that I carry with me and that are who I am by nature. Don't be a functional Sadducee. You know? I'm a Christian. I'm involved in life of church. I love Jesus' church. You know? But when the hour of trial comes, all of a sudden, I live like there's no future hope. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. His blood has made you worthy to attain to the age to come. And how long will that trial last? How long will that trial last? If you could compare the trials of this life, if you drew a line all the way around this gym, and that line all the way around this gym represented eternity, that was the length of eternity. How big would be the spot where the trial of this life is on that line? Wouldn't be much, would it? Momentary light afflictions are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So submit yourself to God in all the trials that you face and give thanks to God in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Give thanks in all circumstances to your Father in Heaven. And worship Him through the trials you face. God doesn't become less worthy of your worship and less worthy of your praise because of the trial you Many of God's saints have suffered for thousands of years and many have showed up to worship God through the trial. Whether it was temple or whether it was as we gather all over the earth in church bodies for worship, they have suffered immensely and they have longed to worship God. One thing have I asked of the Lord and this will I seek after. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to inquire in his temple. You know, you know what David said right before he said that? If an army encamps against me, yet I will be confident. And So the saints have always longed for the worship of God, not because the trial ended, but just because he's worthy of worship through it. And he has made us worthy to attain to the age to come Father, we give You praise that You have redeemed us by the precious blood of Your dear Son. And we thank You, Jesus, for Your willing suffering, for the salvation of Your people, for Your willingness to shed Your own blood and to die carrying our guilt upon that tree for us. And we thank You that even in seasons of trial, we can be of good cheer. Thank You for many older saints and the good cheer they have, even though they have the most aches, and pains, even though they have had the most loss in this life, even though that they um, have had the most trials, oftentimes, in this life, and yet they are sweet and oftentimes full of so much joy in the Lord that the younger of us could only covet, and You have done this work, Father, in them, in preparing for them an eternal weight of glory through trial. Lord, let us look to those a few years ahead of us and see their faith and take hold of it ourselves to those who are younger to take hold of Christ and His submission to the trial of the cross and to submit ourselves to God through every providential day and every cup of trial that, you, that He gives to us. Thank you for the encouragement, Father, that you kiss the cup of trial before you give it to us. And that will only amount to our good. Father, through the difficult days ahead for our church family, we praise you and we bless your name and we exalt your name together. You are God Most High and you are our Redeemer. And we thank You for the very precious place that You've given us the honor of being Your loved ones, sons of God, daughters of God, being sons and daughters of a future resurrection from the dead and of a hope of the life to come. Wean our hearts away from what we see right in front of us to teach us to have faith in unseen and eternal things. And let us not Let us be a people of faith, not fearing bad news that comes because we trust in our God and we know You never change and You will be good to us as a good Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.